From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. Good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Great to have you with us, wherever you may be, in places we can't even pronounce. Or, the spell, land, or, or spell or anything else. Yeah. Probably safer for international relations if we don't try to pronounce <laughs> we some, might of, get ourselves some of those uh, yes. places. Anyway, great to have you with us. And uh, just a reminder, friends, if you'd like to uh, find out about new opportunities to serve, with Advancing Vibrant Communities, just go to our website. That's www.vibrantcommunities.org, vibrantcommunities.org. Click on the little red flashy thing icon. <laughs> it will take you right to the daily update page and uh, show you brand-new opportunities to serve. And, of course, you can always call us at 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Before we go on, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate trying to count up how many times that Paul, one of the greatest Jesus freaks ever, escaped death. Several times, angry mobs tried to stone him. Once, he was even left for dead. Paul was bitten by a poisonous snake, robbed, thrown in jail a bunch of times, shipwrecked three times, and spent a whole night adrift at sea. He survived floods, starvation, and five separate whippings. Paul wasn't afraid to die. He even wrote, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But God had bigger plans. God used Paul to reach the Gentiles, encourage and challenge churches, write much of the New Testament, and be an example to you and I of how to trust and obey God's plan, no matter what. For more on The Voice of the Martyrs, go online to persecution.com. You know, in our, our day-to-day ministry, you have to sweat the details, you know, to make things happen. But, you know, when you consider what happened to Paul during his uh, his career after that um, blinding experience on the road to Damascus, it really puts it into perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't it, Elaine, that uh, a, lot, a lot of our issues that we struggle with are, are really minuscule compared to what Paul went through. And, and if you look at the persecution of a church uh, around the world, last week at Pastor's Prayer Time, we were discussing uh, the fact that nine believers had just been arrested. Uh, in a third world country we won't mention because we don't want to put them in danger, but uh, we need to keep our brothers and sisters around the world in prayer uh, as as they boldly proclaim the gospel. Mm -hmm. Well, right now, let's switch to the legal front with our friend Brad Dacus. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. 
And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Pacific Justice Institute has just sent a legal memorandum to the City Council of Lodi, California, urging the council not to censor public prayer. You see, the council is being threatened with a lawsuit by an atheist group because ministers who open the council meetings with an invocation often end their prayers in Jesus' name. Since these ministers are not paid or sponsored by the government, PGI is urging the city council not to censor them, or anyone else for that matter who wants to address their meetings. Government censorship goes against everything we stand for as Americans, especially when it's censorship of a century-old tradition like public prayer. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And you know, friends, the neat thing about uh, Pacific Justice Institute is they provide their services for free. Isn't that an oxymoron? Kind of, you know, lawyers for free. Man, <laughs> you don't you know, hear that too often. You don't do hear you? that too often, do you? <laughs> lawyers and free. I don't think so. Um, but yeah, this is amazing the work that they do, not only in California, but across the nation as well. Again, uh, you can call them toll free. There's another thing. You don't even have to do a toll call. You can make a toll-free call to the Pacific <laughs> Justice Institute. one 9129 is the number. one 9129 Or check out, and they just revamped their website. It is really, really fantastic. Very well organized. Again, that's pacificjustice.org. And a couple of notes here, uh, Elaine, before we uh, jump into opportunities uh, to serve. If you're around uh, Sherwood Bible Church coming up, you know, Four hundred dollars for my nose, and now my mouth doesn't you, you'll work. You get it right I'm, before Sunday. Yeah, Sherwood sure Bible Church. <laughs> Say that ten times fast, Mister Announcer. Right? Uh, <laughs> Sherwood sure Bible Church coming up on August twenty third. Love to have you join us is there. That this we'll, week? Yes, uh, it is coming right. up this uh, Sunday. We'll be back with our good friends there as uh, our brother, uh, Pastor Ross Bryles, takes a well deserved weekend That's off. Right. And uh, a reminder: those of you who joined us for the airport neighborhood cleanup back in May, we're doing it again. Coming up on Saturday, September 12th from uh, 9 to noon. Uh, we'll be there last May, and you were there, Oren. Did you know Yeah. that our guest tonight was there? Were you he there too? His well, well yes. yeah, good experience for you? Um, I enjoyed it. You know, I, it was fun uh, seeing people that had never been in that area, Yeah. You know, what they uh, – um, saw that the people that lived there, what they experience every day. Mm. You know, it's almost mm. like going over to a third world country. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, some of the folks that we were working with, they just, you know, had their jaws open. They couldn't believe, you know, some of the things they found and what's just normal over there. Well, and I think one of, one of the issues for us here in Modesto <laughs> is the airport neighborhoods have kind of been left out. We've done a lot of activities in a lot of places around town and, and well-deserved activities, but the airport neighborhood has always kind of been to the side. You know, it hasn't gotten a lot, uh, gotten a lot of attention and not a lot of advocacy there for, for many, many years, although that, that situation is uh, improving. Last uh, in May, we, t- we took out somewhere between 18 to 22 tons oh, of junk out of the alleyways. 18 to 22 well, Carl tons. Well, Carl and his wife were in the alleyways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was an experience in those alleyways, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the alleys, um, you know, you, you had to uh, protect yourself you yeah, know, yeah. From, from what was laying around. Well, you know, the, the, the sharps and the yeah. needles. And, yeah, and you know. human waste. Yeah. You know, I mean, for some people, that's their restroom. Absolutely. You know? And now, uh, you know, here with our budget cuts and everything, they're talking about shutting down parks. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, and so where are people <clears throat> going to go? Absolutely, and you got some wonderful parks that you know, Legion Park is a beautiful, beautiful place to be, park, yes. and that's, by the way, that will be our uh, uh, command center there, yes. uh, and it's not at the American Legion Hall. I want to make sure you understand that. Uh, it is down past the hall. Follow the road to the east. It winds a little... All right, Elaine. <laughs> follow, except if you're Elaine. <laughs> Don't follow ask the, me for Follow <laughs> the road to the east. Uh, there's a little parking lot there by the river, and uh, that's where we'll be. We'll have uh, some prayer to kick things off and uh, some assignments, and uh, then we'll go and uh, wipe out some more graffiti, take some more junk out of the alleyways, and and uh, and beautify the neighborhood. Again, that's coming up on September 12th. If you belong to a small group or a church, we would prefer that you call us ahead of time. Let us know you're going to be there so we can pre-assign you. That makes things work far more smoothly that morning. And again, just give us a call, 209-544-9571. 209-544-9571. And also on the 12th, just talk to John Irvin at the uh, school district. They need volunteers while we're out there cleaning up the neighborhood to go door to door and talk to people about having students stay in school. Cool. And there is a great program. They've got some great handouts. And we just need a small volunteer corps just to do that. And, uh, in fact, John and I will be meeting this coming Monday to talk about that. So if you're interested maybe in just being part of that traveling team and and, uh, walk through the airport neighborhood, knock on some doors, hand them the materials about uh, the importance of kids staying in school, love to have you do that. And uh, just give us a a call early on, and and we'll we'll get you connected to that. Let us know. Well, let's take a quick look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way because there are some opportunities for you to get out there and serve. Did you know that the 18th annual American Heart Walk is getting ready to get underway? The signature fundraising event to help save lives from heart disease and stroke is going to take place on Saturday, September 12th. Busy Saturday. We'll forgive them for that. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) From 9 a.m. to 12 noon at the Modesto Junior College East Campus and on Saturday, October 10th at the Banner Island Ballpark in Stockton. The event promotes physical activity and heart-healthy living in a fun family environment. Volunteers are needed the day before from 2 to 8 p.m. to provide major setup support and the day of the event between 6 a.m. to 12 p.m. to assist with setup and teardown, help register participants, staff rest stops with refreshments on the course, and to help with fun children's activities and face painting. Yay. Individuals and groups... Might improve uh, mine. I should probably visit them. <laughs> Well, Lane's always told me, men, that I have a face for radio. Oh, no. Were you trying to get through that? I will try. Individuals and groups are also invited uh, to collect donations and join in the walk. All All participants are treated to a continental breakfast. Yum. Lunch and prizes, giveaways, and enjoy live entertainment and family fun. So you might want to take part in this. Which is highly preferable to dead entertainment. You know, I quite agree. The American (laughs) Heart Association is the largest voluntary health organization fighting heart disease, stroke, and other cardiovascular diseases in local communities throughout America. Now, the Center for Human Services, this would be a fun one to uh, take part in, the 23rd Annual Edible Extravaganza. Yes. The Central Valley's most anticipated food and beverage show will be held on Thursday, September 3rd from 5 to 9. This takes place at the Modesto Center Plaza. Um, They need... uh, 
uh, all kinds of people to volunteer for this as the tastings of the region's finest restaurants, caterers, bakers, confectioners, uh, vintners, uh, local growers, and live entertainment, all under one roof. Volunteers ages 21 years and older are needed to clear tables of plates, glassware, utensils, uh, cleanup spills, and all of those kinds of uh, tasks are to be done there. So uh, the Center for Human Services um, are who's conducting this, and they uh, are focusing on youth, family, and community services. So you might want to get out there and volunteer uh, for that. Now, the Reading Works Adult Literacy Program, so needed. You know, school is starting, and some have already started back. Uh, sometimes we take basic reading, writing, and arithmetic for granted. Well, over 100,000, or 46%, of Stanislaw County adults are in the two lowest levels of literacy and are considered functionally illiterate. Well, volunteers ages 16 years and older spend just a couple of hours per week increasing a student's basic reading skills utilizing an easy-to-follow phonics-based curriculum. And Reading Works is providing a tutor orientation for you on Wednesday, September 9th from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m., followed by a tutor training and that takes place on Saturday, September 12th. Once again, we'll forgive them for that. That's been a popular date. It has <laughs> been a popular date, and this uh, is from 10 a.m. to 4 uh, p.m. in the afternoon. Both will be held at the Modesto Library downstairs auditorium. Volunteers uh, are also needed to tutor students in math and assist with GED preparation at the Drop-In Learning Center in Modesto. On-the-job training is provided at the center, and flexible volunteer hours are also available Monday and Wednesday and Tuesdays and Thursdays from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Reading Works is a partnership of the Stanislaw County Library and the Stanislaw Literacy Center, providing free literacy services for adults who need to improve their basic academic skills in Stanislaw County. Wonderful, and they need volunteers. So we would just ask you to call Barbara Borba on any of these things, and she's at 209-524-1307, extension 113. Again, 209-524-1307, extension 113, or email Barbara at bborba at uastan.org. I have to tell you a story that happened just today here at ABC. Patty at Davida, Turlock Dialysis called, and a gentleman needed a ride to Memorial from Turlock, at one, and he had to be here at 1.30 for a special treatment, and he had no family available to give him a ride from Turlock to Modesto. Very last-minute stuff. Patty says, help, we need a miracle here. So I placed a couple of calls to a couple of our miracle-working volunteers who regularly give rides, and uh, you know, God is so good. <laughs> Um, one of our volunteers interlock, Jim Norby, you've heard us talk about him many times. I said, he picked up the phone like on the fifth ring. I was beginning to think he wasn't home. And I said, Jim, he said, yes, Elaine. I said, are you busy like in the next hour? And he says, well, I've got a two o'clock appointment in Modesto. And I said, you're kidding. And he said, no. He says, what do you need? I said, we need a gentleman. (laughs) A gentleman needs to be a a kidney dialysis treatment in Modesto at 1.30. So he says, I can do that. So that need was met, and, you know, we called Patty back, and, and uh, you know, the connection was made. So that was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, you know, there are so many people in our area, dear friends, who need those kidney dialysis treatments. They are life-saving 
treatments for these people. We have on our website now a woman who still needs rides uh, to her kidney dialysis treatments every Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Uh, so this is a growing need in, in our area. And by the way, we want to say a big thanks to Jim for providing that last-minute ride for that gentleman in Turlock. What a wonderful thing. And so we say this to, to say if you uh, happen to be available on Mondays, Wednesdays, or Fridays, and you are inclined to want to provide that transportation for this Modesto woman, perhaps you are a member of a small group and you want to team up with some friends or family members, give us a call at 209 544 Seven one, and we will connect you with this woman who needs uh, who needs that ride. You know, this is a, a true opportunity to share the love and the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, it's amazing. There's a waiting list mm. in Stanislaus County of people who can't get to their medical appointments, and a waiting list for people who need to get to their kidney dialysis appointments. Now, some volunteers just love doing that. That's pretty much all they do. You know, and, and it's part of the gifting. God has given, gifted us all in different ways. And please, if you uh, if you have a car and you'd be willing to uh, provide those rides, again, it's a life-saving and uh, at least a life-preserving uh, ministry and, and uh, quite, a, quite a blessing. We appreciate. And, you know, we, we try not to do the last-minute things, but sometimes right, that exactly. happens. And uh, thank you, Jim, Absolutely. for answering the call. And you never know the doors that are open. Our volunteers tell us when they go out time and time again, People say, why are you doing this? This is so kind of you, and it absolutely opens up the door to share the gospel. We don't believe in beating people up, you know, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. Absolutely not. But this certainly opens up the door to share, and uh, you'll find that to be true. Well, probably if we asked for a show of hands, many would go up. But we, we certainly well, you can't see we them would, on radio. We wouldn't see them, no. I, I tell you what. But, but really, many perhaps of those listening in have seen the red lights flashing in the rearview mirror. And, and we're not talking for minor traffic violations, but certainly some. If you've been under the influence while driving, you've probably got some, some traffic violations going on with that as well. Because probably while you're being pulled over, you're being uh, tested for sobriety issues and, and all of, of those things that go along with that. Friends, are you driving under the influence? Well, our special guest tonight is a dear brother whom we have partnered with, and we met at one of the PACT meetings. You've heard us talk about PACT meetings, which stands for uh, Parole and Community Team. And... Uh, uh, we are just we just want to give a big warm welcome tonight to Carl Mebrod and Carl welcome to Lighthouse Live. We just want to welcome you to the show tonight. Well, thank you very much, Elaine. To have you, with you, us. you could Mike. probably tell us some hair raising stories, but we want to begin with your very own. Well, that some people think that might be a little hair raising. It might be. <laughs> <laughs> Take us back when. Okay, um, I uh, started experimenting with drugs during the, uh, I don't know, late 60s or so, you know, I think acid was still legal, you know, so. As in LSD? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, and it's back when uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix was singing about Purple Haze. We were doing it. And um, not thinking much of it, you know, it was the so-called era of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And, uh, you know, that's that's what uh, our whole world revolved around. You know, and I came, uh, my grandparents, who I lived with a lot as I was growing up, you know, they 
were in church all the time, uh, participated in church activities. You know, it wasn't just showing up on Sundays. And uh, we would have people from the church over, you know, as company quite often. And um, still I was, I had this idea that, you know, heaven and God were about uh, something I would never reach because I knew I wasn't perfect. And, you know, I did a lot of, you know, I got in trouble a lot. And I just thought, well, you know, I'm not one of those people going to heaven. And I didn't, you know, worry about it too much. I, I didn't try didn't try to understand either. And um, uh, drugs gave me a, a sense of belonging with a, a lot of people, you know. And um, years later, when I became a counselor, you know, I told people, you know, you, you can't blame your loved one's uh, issues on their friends. They're hanging out with those people because those people do what they like to do. And I know that because that's why I hung out with those people. <laughs> they were doing what I like to do, what I enjoyed. You know, and um, probably by the time I was 14, I, I would be a clinically uh, uh, diagnosed drug addict, I'm sure. Um, about that time, I would go for days, maybe even weeks without, you know, sobering up. Um, and somehow, you know, I was passing tests at school when I went. You know, I was, you know, an early functioning alcoholic addict, you know, um, sometimes just very high functioning. You know, I, I can't really explain it. So uh, because of that, I thought I wasn't hurting myself, you know, and I convinced myself that what I was doing wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, that was my lifestyle and my friend's lifestyles. And as long as we weren't hurting anybody else, nobody should say anything about it. Um Years later, you know, after that had, you know, just totally taken over my life, uh, I had to, you know, to to maintain my drug habit, I had to um, sell drugs. Sometimes I would steal to support my habit. Um, and it, it got to be that I tried not to think about what I was doing because, you know, then I was starting to hurt people. But I would try to justify it, you know, and... Um, you know, I, if I had certain friends that didn't like doing that, well, I wouldn't hang around with them anymore. I would, you know, consistently I, I kept narrowing my field of friends down to, you know, a certain group that uh, pretty much had no morals, you know. And that's, you know, the way I was going. Years later, my mom asked me, you know, she said, don't, don't you understand why you hang around with all those people? And she said, "It's you make yourself feel good by hanging around with people that you think act worse than you do. But you're acting the same as them, you know. And that kind of cut me. But, you know, I, at the time I was, you know, numbing myself, usually with cocaine, um, always alcohol, you know. And um, I don't know. I did that for over 20 years, mm. you know. And um you know, I remember sitting around work one day and everybody talking about their DUI. And I said, I never had a DUI. And I just thought I was slick, you know. <laughs> I, I was a little smart aleck about it, you know, teasing people. And, you know, it wasn't but about two weeks after that day I got pulled over right here in downtown Modesto. My parents had uh, given me a car. And they had lived up in the mountains at that time. God does funny things, you know. <laughs> and and they had those snow studs in oh, yeah. their tires, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I didn't know anything about those tires, you know. And uh, this one particular night, it was right about dusk, and I was feeling a little squirrely. Drank a little bit, smoked a little bit, and I just goosed my car a little bit from a stop sign. When those back tires spun, they threw out sparks like you wouldn't believe. And there was a cop way down the road that never would have noticed me except for those snow studs. You know, and he pulled me over and gave me a sobriety test. I was kind of borderline. Mm -hmm. And um, sure enough, I got a DUI. And um, I thought that was a fluke. You know, because I was so used to getting away with it. Back in those days, um, if you got pulled over, it was not uncommon for the officer to tell you, you know, you can walk home, leave your car here, come back and pick it up tomorrow. Or he'd tell you, go to sleep for a while in your car. I patrol this neighborhood. Your car would still better be here at such and such a time. You know, he would figure you'd sober up in a few hours. You know, and that was just common back then. And, um, you know, it it put it in our minds that what we were doing wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't that serious. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, it, it is very serious. What was the financial fine back then, Carl? Minimal. Minimal. And uh, I really couldn't tell you what it was because I never paid a fine back then. Okay. I would wait until it turned into a warrant and I would turn myself in or I would get pulled over for something else and I would go sit my time out in jail. Mm -hmm. um, I was so accustomed to going to jail that it just didn't bother me. And, you know, eventually it was more things than just driving on a suspended or a DUI. Um, you know, I, disturbing the peace, you know, uh, get in a, a fight with somebody or something like that. And um, I don't know how many times I had a Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas dinner out at the Honor Farm mm. or in the downtown jail. Mm. And it... Uh, got to be such a normal thing that my mom used to tell my brother and sister that the reason I was always locked up during the holidays was because I was too tight to buy Christmas presents. <laughs> and, and, you know, I went along with that. But, you know, after a while, it got tired being the family joke and the family black sheet. It really wasn't quite the truth either, was not it? Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> you know, and there was a lot of... Uh, enabling from uh, somebody in my family that, you know, enabled me to maintain that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know about enabling back then, didn't know what was yeah. going on, you know. And, you know, that was just my life. I, uh, I got so loaded one night that I thought I was getting in a fight with somebody. And what I actually did was I broke into somebody's house, scared the heck out of him. He shot me. Oh, yeah. That right? oh, yeah. And, you know, I don't blame him for shooting me. I would have shot me, too. And uh, years later, I found out that it had bothered him so much that he had to go to therapy and everything. Mm -hmm. And I'd always wanted to go try to make amends with him after I got cleaned up. But I was afraid that I might stir something up. So I just never did. You know, and I read his obituary recently, and he was just a wonderful man. I mean, he, he blessed people throughout our community, especially youth, you know. And I was probably the type of kid that he was out helping back then, you know. So I just really felt bad for, you know, putting that hiccup in his life, you know. But, you know, at that time, 
I, I, I wasn't thinking that way. And you would think something like getting shot would make somebody think, wow, you know, I, I got to straighten up here. But uh, for me, you know, I, I woke up in the hospital. I was chained to a bed. I had two police officers guarding me. You know, it, it, all it did for me was make me think, man, you know, what'd that guy do to me? You know, I, I put everything off on him. I didn't accept, you know, any type of blame. Um, I ended up doing a, uh, some time over that. I uh, Back then that we had indeterminate sentencing, and I was sentenced to five years to life. Um, but that was suspended, and I was given one year of local time. So uh, you would think that would wake somebody up, you know, but I went out to the honor farm to do my one year. Um, I wasn't out there but maybe two weeks, and I got busted with an ounce of marijuana that I was, uh, you know, going to deal out there. And, you know, I, to me, that was just, you know, my lifestyle, you know. And now back to this man who shot you, he knew the Lord, right? You know, I really don't know. It, it just kind of sounds like it sounded like he that, did, yeah. but you know it wasn't clear in his obituary, and I wouldn't know who to ask. But you know he he did the kind of things that those of us that do love the Lord do. So, we so. Can pray and hope yeah. that someday yeah. you'll have a chance to. Yeah, to I would make, love to. Yes, oh, you know, there's a couple of interesting themes, and we're gonna head into a break here in just a second, Carl. But you. Uh, you know, as you talk to, to people and, and many that, that we deal with, common theme that, you know, being raised in a Christian environment and a, in a churched environment does not immunize us, no. you know, against uh, these things. And, and then um, the importance of who you hang out with. Yeah. You know, it, it, and man, our kids, uh, my kids at home probably get tired of hearing this, but I want to know who their friends are. Yeah, I want exactly. to know who they're hanging out with, you know, and and uh, fortunately, at least to this point, they're 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 okay with that. But that that's something we really uh, that's that's highly important and critical for us as parents to monitor and 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 keep a handle on, right? And as parents, you know, we can't we can't do that thing that we like to do of saying, you know, oh, it's a bad influence, or you know, he only did it because so and so talked him into it, you know. Um, the people that we surround ourselves with mm. are the people that are doing what we like to do, yeah. Yeah. you know. And um, if if we see that our kids, you know, have a lot of, uh, uh, say, poor influences as friends, we've got a pretty good gauge of what our kids are doing. Um, I, I, I know of somebody whose uh, son, uh, most of their friends – well, several of their friends, I should say, have been in uh, substance abuse treatment for heroin addiction. And this person thought that um, his kid only drank alcohol, you know, and smoked pot, but would never do any of the hard stuff. Well, you don't have that many friends circled around you doing heroin, and you're not doing heroin. And that kid ended up uh, ODing on heroin oh and still wouldn't uh, uh, admit to his parents what was going on even though the blood test came back to prove it. Wow. We are blessed to have you with us, Carl Meebrod, and we will be back uh, with lots more. And what a good reminder for those who are his, We Can't Get Away. It's the name of the song from Russia Fools on Lighthouse Live, and we will be back. I am an 
can stop it Cause you are the target And you Lighthouse Live, can't get away. 
You probably feel that way if you've ever been pulled over. <laughs> That's not what they're singing about. It's just kind of sort of what we're talking about tonight. But this is can't get away, and you don't want to get away from the one who holds you in the palm of his hand. Amen. We're with Carl Mebrod tonight, and so glad to be. Carl, you've been sharing your experiences with us here uh, on Lighthouse Live, and so glad that you didn't get away from the Lord. And uh, as you continue to share with us, uh, certainly you're going to share with us uh, how you came about to uh, to come to know the Lord. So continue your story, if you will. Sure. Well, as I said, I uh, you know used to get locked up quite often, and I even tried a geographic change. I moved over to the East Coast once, and um, you know within hours of being there, I had made my first drug connections, and uh, I was dealing again. And that ended up in, uh, um, I did about a year back there, too. So I thought, well, that's not working. I ended up coming back to Modesto. And um, I don't know, maybe I'd been locked up with enough people so many times I'd heard enough stories. I started getting um, maybe better at what I was doing. And I didn't get caught for a lot of years. And, um, you know, my grandmother was dying and... You know, I remember lying to her, telling her, you know what, things are turning around for me, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. And as I was lying to her, I, this guilt was starting to build up in me. And, um, you know, guilt can be a bad thing, or sometimes it can be a, a good thing, too, you know, as long as you don't get buried in it. And um, what my guilt did for me was it got me to start looking at my substance abuse and I thought well I'm gonna cut down on my drinking you know and uh, um, I had maybe about three days with no alcohol but I was still doing methamphetamine like crazy Mm -hmm. you know to me I was stepping up I was doing a real good thing you know and um, I was up you know for days and I was cruising around early one Sunday morning and uh, I was at a stoplight, and I had just come around a curve to hit the stoplight. It was out here on a Cisk Road by Chuck E. Cheese. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and I saw these two motorcycle cops. And they were going pretty fast. And I told the guy next to me, I says, man, these guys are after somebody. And we're looking around, and we don't see anybody except for a couple of cars coming towards us. And I looked in my rear view again, and I said, oh, no, he's going to hit us. And bang, one of them hit me, you know. And, you know, because of the way I thought, you know, I thought, oh, no, because I knew I was driving on suspended. I'd had a a DUI years before and never got my license back because I refused to go to DUI school. And, um, you know, I knew I was going to go do my 10 days again, you know, which was real customary for me. I did 10 days in jail a lot over that DUI. And um, I told the guy in the car, I said, you're going to have to take the car over to John's house, you know, a friend of mine. And he said, I'm not driving this car because he knew I had things in that car that were illegal, you know. And that was just, it was part of my lifestyle. It was natural and normal for me. Anyway, um, I got out. I talked to the police officer that had avoided me. You know, there was a pair of them. And he told me, don't worry about it. He said, "Uh, I've got an ambulance on the way. And I said, well, I'm going to move my car over to the parking lot here because I was in the middle of the road. And 
Um, I said, I'm going to go use the phone, too, because I wanted to tell my friend John to come pick up the car. And not an unusual phone call for John. He'd come picked up a, a car or a truck for me a few times, you know. Um, when I got off the phone, as I was walking back towards the accident scene, um, you know, this is before cell phones for me, you know, I, I had to go use a pay phone. Um, I was walking up behind some police officers and I heard one of them, um, he was pretty upset and he's asking, where's the SOB that ran him over? And I just stopped dead in my tracks and I thought, man, these guys are going to pound me, you know, and I turned around and I just started walking. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have John come get the car, and then later on, you know, I'll go turn myself in when it's, you know, more convenient. And I think more than anything else, I, I just wanted to go get high. I wasn't ready to get locked up. You know, I like to do things on my own terms. So uh, I was almost at a friend's house where I was heading to, and and I heard this boom, 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 boom behind me. And... You know, back then, I always knew the sound of a Dodge 440. <laughs> and I just stopped and put my hands up, you know. And um, the officer got out of the car. He told me to hit the deck and everything. And, you know, he cuffed me up, uh, didn't talk much, put me in the back of his car. And then the motorcycle officer that had missed me, he came up. I saw him getting off his bike, and he opened up the door, and he acted like he knew me. And he said, Carl, what have you done now? And I said, what do you mean? I said, it looked like I was going to get pounded back there. And he said, nobody was going to hurt you. He said, I was there. I could have told everybody what was going on. He said, you've taken a simple misdemeanor. You would have done a few days in jail, and you've turned it into a serious felony. You're going to prison. And I just kind of unglued. I'm not going to prison. You know, and he said, you're guilty of a felony hit and run. I said, he hit me, you know. And um, later on when I was in jail and got a hold of a law book, you know, I found out that, yeah, I was guilty of a hit and run. Um, I went to the honor farm, you know, which was a second home for me. I was very comfortable out there. Fought my case for about four and a half, five months, and things weren't going well, and they were talking about giving me six years. Um I decided to escape because, you know, I never learn. I just keep <laughs> digging a deeper hole for myself, you know. And I, I did escape. And um, several weeks later, when I was out, you know, doing the same stuff I always did because I don't know enough to lay down and, you know, lay low, um, I got, you know, stopped by the cops. And um, I gave him a friend's name. You know, an alias, because I knew his birth date. I knew his social security number. I, I knew all kinds of things about him. Now it's identity theft. Yeah. Okay. Not to mention that he's about four inches taller than me. Uh oh okay. And, uh, you know, has a Hispanic name, you know. <laughs> and, and here I am, white bread, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, it, it raised the cops' suspicions. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the the way the cops even got called in the first place is I was trying to do a collection on a drug debt for somebody, and they got scared and called the cops on me. And, um, you know, once the cops did have me surrounded and everything, they brought in a witness in a, in a car. They identified me, and the cop didn't tell me I was identified. So 
I'm going along giving this Hispanic name. And I was in jail for uh, three days under that name when I got pulled out of my cell. And uh, this detective, you know, said, I want to talk to you. And he pulled me into an interview room at the second floor of the jail. And I'd never been on the second floor of the jail. I always went to the third floor for some reason. And there's a lot of bad guys up there, you know. And I started going there when I was a teenager. And I guess once you go there, you always go there, you know. But somebody had written on the wall, don't ask God for help out of this. Ask him for help through it. Hmm. And, you know, I just kept sitting and staring at that. And, you know, this detective gets me in this interview room and he says, do you have anything you want to tell me? And I walked over to the window and looked outside. Hadn't done that for a few days. And I turned around and I said, well, my name's Carl Mebrod and I escaped from the honor farm about seven, eight weeks ago. And he pulled this folder out from under his arm, and he laid it on the table, and there were numerous mug shots of me. I used to change my appearance quite often, you know, long hair, short hair, beard, no beard, mustache, you know. And um, it had my real name, you know, written on the folder. And he kind of chuckled, and he says, you know, we all think that you're in enough trouble as it is, and seeing how you're telling us the truth now, we're not going to press the other felony charges for assuming an identity and giving false information. Mm. Wow. And, um, you know, he asked me to just tell him my story a little bit, and I did, and he was kind of shaking his head, and he said, well, you're going to prison for sure, you know, and, um, you know, thank you for, for at least, you know, finally being honest with us. So uh, a couple days later, I had my court date, and uh, new DA, new judge. I went in. I just walked around the public defender, and I told the DA, you know, I want to plead guilty right now to everything. First step. Yeah. So um, I pled guilty, and four days later, I found myself in prison. Um, I went over here to DVI and Tracy. And once I got processed and everything, uh, I got on a bunk, and I just laid there and just really depressed. You know, because every time I was locked up around here, you know, I was in familiar territory with familiar people. Um, when I was locked up back east, even back there, you know, I had friends that, you know, it wasn't really a totally uncomfortable situation for me. This When I went to prison... For some reason, I didn't know anybody there right then. And, and I've had a lot of friends in prison, but I was totally alone and felt mm -hmm. isolated. Um, I've got a bad back, have had for years, and the mattress I was laying on had this lump in it. And it was right at the mid part of my back that's, you know, really sore anyway all the time. And... Um, I laid on that, and I knew it was sore, and I was kind of using that to punish myself, I think, you know, in my depression. And about three days of that, I decided, you know, that writing on the wall said, I'm not going to get out of this. I might as well make myself comfortable. And I tried fooling with that mattress to get the lump out of it, and I couldn't get the lump to spread out or anything. And I went to flip the mattress over. I thought, well, I'll move the lump. And when I flipped it, there was this little brown New Testament Gideon's Bible that I'd been laying on. 
They're amazing. So, you know. Now we're getting to it. Yeah. So I start reading this Bible just out of boredom. You know, I wasn't trying to do anything. I was bored, and it was the only book in the cell. Now, I told you guys I went to jail often. Um, I wasn't by any means a dumb criminal. I got away with a lot of stuff in my time. And, you know, it, the times that I did go to jail, um, maybe one of the reasons it didn't bother me as much is because I knew how much I had gotten away with. And, and part of getting away with things, I think, was like in my drug dealing days, I never used my real name. Um, years before, somebody had uh, nicknamed me Goat Roper because this job I, I took uh, I went in in cowboy hat, boots, you know, clean shaven, short hair. And uh, the people that worked there, including the owner, they all got loaded. And they called me the goat roper because they thought I was some kind of narc, you know. Mm-hmm. But I picked up on their little, you know, little lingo they used with each other. And they'd always have to stay a few minutes after locking up, you know. And I had a good idea what they were doing. So. One day, you know, I I lined them up with a bunch of crank on all of their workbenches, and as I left, you know, told them I left them a surprise. You know, I didn't know they were cocaine heads, you know, so when they snorted that crank, it just burned their faces off, you know. But they they called me Goat Rope after that, you know. They they brought me into the brotherhood, gave me that nickname and everything. And years later, when my appearance was different, my hair was long and my beard was long. You know, this kid working for another shop I was at said, why do you guys call him Goat Roper? He looks more like a goat. (laughs) And everybody thought that was so funny. So for years, I was called Goat. And, you know, I had people that I knew for four or five years didn't know my real name. You know, they just called me Goat. Anyway, I'm reading this New Testament, and I don't know how many times I'd been through it, and... I'm thinking it was probably about my third time through Matthew 25 when I figured out, you know what? Jesus is separating <laughs> sheep from goats, and it's not such a good thing to be a goat. I love it. <laughs> Me too. Oh, only God and, does this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I that just, it sunk in, you know, as one of those aha moments, mm-hmm. you know, where you pop yes. yourself on the forehead and just mm-hmm. like, why didn't I realize this before? And I started praying, and um, I prayed about my attitude, you know. Um, I prayed about how I treated my family. I prayed about um, my work ethic. You know, there were so many jobs I quit after a few days because they would hardly pay me anything. Well, who can blame them, you know? I never had a work history to speak of. So, you know... All of a sudden, this sense of peace hit me Mm. while I was sitting in prison. And this is at the very beginning of a four-year sentence, you know. And I got this grin on my face, and I knew it was going to be okay. Mm. And, uh, you know, things weren't going so well in prison as far as, you know, me having things. And um, somehow I accidentally got hooked up with a job working for a Christian. And most of his staff were Christian. And it ended up like I had a little miniature parole every day, wow. you know. And, and we got to talk about godly things. And, you know, I got to uh, 
um, just be around decent people that talked decent and that started believing in me. Um, my parole date got messed up, and I had worked for this guy for, you know, a couple of years, and I told him, look, they've got my date wrong. They're trying to make me stay here too long. And he says, you know, I don't usually have much use for you guys, but I kind of believe you, you know. And he went down and he fought for me several times, you know, and I finally got out on the date that I, I said I was supposed to get out. And um, he arranged for me to meet some friends of his that owned a machine shop in Tracy. Mm. Um, and that was great therapy for me to go to work, you know, driving by the prison every day and night, you know, remembering where I was coming from. And uh, the people there at that shop, they, they blessed me. You know, they starved me for a while, but they blessed me. And all those prayers I had about, you know, a good work ethic, I worked for over a year for just over $6 an hour. Mm. And, you know, that was tough. But I showed them, you know, that I was serious and that I wasn't just some ex-con. I, I walked my talk. Um, not only the owners, but the people that worked there would come up to me and apologize about cussing at the job. You know, because, you know, I found out, I didn't think I was a good witness, but I found out that my behavior, my walk was my witness, Amen. you know. And, um, you know, years later I had to quit that job because I got in a car wreck with a suspected drunk driver. And, um, you know, while I was at that job, I finally went to my DUI school, and my counselor tried to talk me into becoming a DUI counselor while a drug counselor. Mm -hmm. um, before the cops even showed up the day of my wreck, you know, I knew what I was going to do because my knees were tore up. I knew I couldn't stand at that machine shop any longer. And, um, you know, I didn't wait for, you know, disability or anything. I just went down. I found out what it would take to get retrained. I went you know, got retrained, and, you know, it's not always easy to get a job, but, you know, everything just lined up for me. Um, I had pulled out the last of my money from my bank account to pay my rent, and I got a call that night while I was at church, you know, to come in to interview the next day, and I got the job the next day. Wow. And I worked as a counselor, and, you know, I, I went back to prison and I worked as a drug counselor. Since Amen. Then. You know, I, now I work in DUI, you know, yes. and I, I help people look and realize what their behaviors are doing, not just to themselves or their family, but to the community as a whole. Carl, you know, look what God has done. You know, look what God has I was done. this piece of wreckage running around, you know, just being a drain on my community. And now I not only contribute to the community, but, you know, my wife and I, we were able to buy a house recently, you know, and that, that's nothing that should have ever come across my way except for the intervention of God. He's changed you from the inside out. Oh, yeah. Well, isn't it amazing how he uses the, the junk in our lives mm -hmm. to his glory, and he leverages that to, uh, to help others. And, uh, you know, I think a, a couple of things that stand out here, friends, and we're bumping the clock. Wow. we got to come back, Carl. You do. <laughs> you know, God has eternity. We only have 58 minutes. But, uh, you know, this, 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 uh, you, you're, you mentioned walking your talk and that your, your walk is your witness. You know, and we miss that so much, I think, in our Western culture. 
you know, that is so important for us to walk our talk Monday through Saturday as it is on Sunday. And you have a powerful, powerful uh, witness in that regard. And the other thing um, I think that's, that's interesting is, uh, is, is the whole lifestyle. You know, God just turned you upside down. Yeah. You know, from that little bump in the mattress and hurting your back, you know, he, he turned your life upside down. And it inside out. Amazing. <laughs> I, I got to tell you one more thing real quickly. You know, that Gideon Bible that saved my life, well, mm-hmm. I eventually became a Gideon. Oh. <laughs> and, and on September 12th, I'm speaking at a Gideon breakfast in Chowchilla. Is that right, right? <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm missing out on the heart walk I usually take part in, and I'm missing out on the, the next airport cleanup. But we'll I'm forgive doing you. It. That's right. God, God's got something for you to do. That's right. His ways are not always our ways. Carla, you know, we'd like to have you back, and I think oh. what we want to do is is explore a little bit about uh, your uh, counsel to parents who may right. have a Carl. Yeah. You know, uh, and and what to do, uh, how to approach things, and and such. And so I think there's a whole show of follow up. So we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to invite you back. But until then, I'm sure that some people. You know, would have some questions and and uh, and such for you. Uh, would you prefer that people call us and we'll get a hold of you, or how, yeah, how that, would you like to do that? That would work best. Would that work best, yeah. friends? If if you'd like to, uh, if you have some questions or observations you'd like to run by, Carl. Uh, what a what a wonderful story today. Mm. Give us a call two zero nine five four four nine five seven one. That's two zero nine five four four ninety five seventy one. And uh, we'll post those Carl uh, those questions to Carl and and uh, get his feedback to you. And again, Carl, thank you, brother, for what a what an inspirational story and a testament to God's healing. Huh? That's it. Amen. You know, it's all Carl Jesus. Me thank brought. you, brother. Bless you, and dear friends. God bless you wherever you ha- may happen to be listening. We appreciate it. God bless you throughout this entire week. 